0: Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 298, and part two of my conversation with Jordan Nielsen. Now, not much to report on my end. I did just get back into town from our annual Missouri Bandmasters Conference, representing the University of Missouri Bands with my colleagues, Dr. Brian Sylvie and Dr. Amy Kennops. It was good to reconnect with many of my colleagues across the state, mostly in the high school and middle school fields, which included some alums of the university, along with those working in the college level. And we got to do this at our local Lake of the Ozarks, which was both pleasant and extremely hot, like it is in many parts of the world. But glad to be back and looking forward to further adventures. And with that, we'll get back to our chat from Jordan Nielsen. As mentioned in part one from last week, Jordan has recently finished his master's in percussion performance at Mizzou and will be staying in Columbia, building his career for the foreseeable future. He is currently working as percussion coordinator and performer with the Missouri Symphony and their Hot Summer Nights series, while also spending time as performer with the Heartland Marimba Festival Tour. Now, last week, you heard Jordan talk a lot about his time in Missouri so far, his growing up in Utah, and his undergrad at Southern Utah University. This week, in part two, we'll be talking further about his time at Mizzou, building the portfolio career, and our usual end to the show, including sections on Jordan being a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, the Apex series in Utah, and the TV shows, movies, and music he's enjoying now. So here we go. We recorded this interview over Zoom on May 20th, 2022, and it begins right now. Talk a little bit about what it's meant to have Stephen and Emily here at the same time with you during doing these degrees.
1: So I'm a very sentimental human being. So there's two ways I can answer that. There's um, one, just the school side, and then there's the friendship side, you know, everything outside of what we have to do for school. But obviously they bleed together. But I think just having other people that are coming into a program that are also from different states, you know. Emily's from Connecticut, Steven's from Florida, I'm from Utah, and so all of us coming from basically the same distance away, but in, in different directions, oh. and very different um, music backgrounds in those areas.
0: And then throwing in at later, Jeremiah coming from Alabama. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think that's the case with the next set of students that are coming in. They're all from different states, um, which is so cool that that happens. It's just so nice to have someone around that you say, how on earth did you fix that registration problem? And they're like, well, I don't know. But then you just figure it out together, right? Just on the baseline of like figuring stuff out because we're, you know, we all move to the states by ourselves or to the, to Missouri by ourselves. And so the whole moving process alone is pretty tricky from state to state. And there's a million different policies depending on which states you move to, of course. So that alone really helped that we could all just figure it out together. And honestly, like regist- even just registering for classes at Mizzou is a little confusing. It takes way too long. <laughs> but that's, that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but it took all three of us to figure it out. Yeah. So, you know, and just, you know, having people that are... Um, coming in and wanting to do cool music, um, and, you know, their musical foundations are very different than mine, even though we all did percussion degrees, but, you know, we're able to really learn from each other in that process, so that's really fantastic. And then on the friend side of things, you know, I knew that I was going to be having these people coming in, um... It's like, are we going to get along? And the baseline, I'm sure we'll get along. And then within like a week or two, we all started getting super close and then it just kept going, which is even better when you consider the pandemic happening and we're all still stuck in this, stuck in a state that is not our home state. Um, And we don't know many people at all. And so it was great to have some other people that were in a similar scenario that we could lean on a little bit. So, I'm extremely grateful f- to them for just like their friendship and just like working together so much. You know, there's so many large projects that we've been able to tackle. Like um one piece that we worked on um this most recent semester was Torque by Vijay Ayers. I mm-hmm. uh, did the second and the third movement of that. And that piece is a true chamber piece and it takes a really deep understanding of, of the composite and everyone's individual parts in order to play it well. And we had to spend so many hours rehearsing together. It was a piece that you we we quickly figured out that the way we were going to get this piece together was woodshedding as a group and not individually. Some pieces, it's, okay, you just got to go in the practice room by yourself for six hours. Um, this piece was, we need four hours together, and we're going to work on... Six bars. It's one of those. Yeah. For us. Um, other groups may not find it that way. Depending on the types of players and personalities that are there. But for us, just being able to say like, Wait, I know what you do there, but what do you do there? <laughs> um, or can you and I play together? Can you and I play together? Can you can you play a check for us while um, uh, uh, me and Steven are doing that section together? Or whatever. And then just... then swapping around and stuff and just saying like, no, you're not doing that right. (laughs) Or like, did I screw up? Someone help me. Can someone watch my part and actually tell me like, this is right. You, You know, and, and especially when you've been in a rehearsal with a group for that many hours, it's great that we all could get along and we really learned how to work together in a way that we never had before. And it was extremely rewarding because by the time we got to performance mode, we just knew the piece inside and out. And like, yeah, we, we have things that make certain performances better to us or not or whatever. But, you know, we got to do that piece with the Missouri Contemporary Ballet and we had one chance to do sound check, and then two shows. And that was it. So it was like, we got to know this piece inside and out because these dancers have been practicing to a so percussion YouTube video <laughs> of this piece. We have to be able to do it exactly the same. I'm very grateful to them and, you know, and I'm really happy with all the things that we've accomplished. Even with so many with a big disruption in the middle of our degree. So yeah.
0: It's interesting to think about that piece and the office. Uh yeah. As another tube of-
1: real yeah. Because, two pieces uh, together.
0: Yeah. So the the interesting thing with torque is, I think I saw you all do that twice. Um, Probably. I um. I didn't. I didn't get to see the contemporary ballet, but I saw. I at believe Lindsay I saw Settel. it twice. Yeah.
1: A- at the, the d- and the ensemble concert.
0: Right, and I remember the first time, which was in uh, Sheryl Crow Hall. Mm-hmm. I was like, I could tell that it was close. But I could still tell that there was still a lot of, um, there's a lot of stress, I guess, in in like making sure everything fit together in a yeah. full performance that you could then like demonstrate. But the second time I saw you play it, I could tell that you had all figured every that it was pretty much figured out, and there was a little there was more comfort.
1: Yeah, to that, to that next think, time. Oh, totally. And I think what was really game changing to us is. For a long time, um, the recital hall was the room that we could rehearse in. That's the most resonant space that we can play in. Right. right? And so once we got into um, some other spaces that were incredibly dry, that's when everything just started to click super solidly. Um, And I think think that first, our first performance was in, yeah, it wasn't, in a place where we were like, okay, we can, we know this piece top to bottom. We were so close to just like being comfortable with it. You know, it's always interesting how that works. It's like taking a piece on tour. It's like the first performance, are you, is it going to be what it's going to be? And by the time you play it six days later in front of another audience, it's like, Oh, that's it. Yeah. It's just go. And it's fine. You know?
0: Yeah. So well, that was and that was the kind of the and I talked to Steven about this. I talked to Emily about this when you did the Sothis. It's kind of fun to watch you all play it so I'm sorry, you play it like maybe three or four times. And I told I remember I may have said this to all of you, I definitely said it to Dr. Orange. The last time you played it, um, at the end of the semester, I said that was that you all that was on a different level. Like that was that was the first time I saw you all play with swagger. <laughs> like no, like legit. You all knew it so well that I saw you putting your own – that your own personalities – you weren't worried about the notes anymore. You were like, we're going to actually take this to another level. And it was really invigorating to see you all get there.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mention that because we had so many conversations about like – so one thing about like rehearsing with a a group is like everyone has different priorities in how they learn music and stuff like that. Some of us are – I'm – Sometimes I don't realize it, but someone once told me, they're like, Jordan, you're kind of a general effect person. That's really, like, what your goals are. And I was like, oh, really? I guess I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, that tends to be the thing that captivates me the most with pieces, right? Then other people, they're like, I just keep, mi- I keep missing that that A flat or something. It's like, I don't... Whatever. Okay. <laughs> to me, it, I don't know. But to them, it it's enough of a hiccup or enough of an issue in their mind that they, you know, it's disrupting their own personal flow. Whereas if like something for me doesn't hit quite the way I want it to, then I'm like, ugh, and then I'm not, then my head isn't. You know, and everyone has different ways they do that. Maybe it's they don't feel super comfortable in that pattern yet, but they're still playing it in time, but it just doesn't flow as well as they want it to. Yeah, Stuff like that. So yeah, it's very interesting. And both of those pieces, even though it was this, almost the same personnel, were so different in terms of what everyone needed, you know. The Sothis had a lot more like okay, you, we, every a uh, few of us need to spend more time in the practice room, but that's just because it had a, a lot more notes, yeah, and weird intervals, yeah, <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, there are definitely a few bars that I just had to like flat out m- learn by memorizing it because that's just how how it is. So that was such a fun piece. I love that piece. Yeah, I want to play it again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're staying in town um, post-graduation. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's kind of what, – what's been – what's your portfolio as we talked about the portfolio career? Oh, yeah. What's the, what's the version of that for you that's upcoming of, over the next year at least?
1: So there's a few different scenarios it could be. Mm-hmm. And basically I structured my next like year of my life on i have cheap rent right now and so i renewed my lease <laughs> as a bet like i can at least rely on that you know so if i have to work part-time somewhere i'm good that's just my like that's my safety net projects coming up in the immediate future right now um you and i talked about this a little bit but um i work with a school in the area called hickman high school and we just finished up our drumline auditions we haven't announced results yet as of today when we're recording this, but you know, uh, in mid may, the results will be released. And so we're really excited about that. I think it's going to be the biggest group of percussionists they've had in a long time. I think we're going to sit at 21, potentially 22 kids, um, between battery and front. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I just got told the show theme, which is not public yet, but I'm really excited about it. It has some awesome music in it. And I really love Uh, the, the, the people that write our wind and percussion books, uh, the wind book is always written by, uh, Steve Vento. He's on the East coast. Um, he's awesome. His, oh, his textures and harmonies are always gorgeous. And then, um, Cliff Walker, who's also the drumline director for Mizzou, he writes the percussion book for us and Cliff's writing is incredible. And he's so good at sneaking in education into it. Like you get the, you get the percussion book from him and you're like, Oh, this is my teaching plan for the next six months already done. Like I already know exactly what he wants to do here. This yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so we just got that. And so that marching season's going to start. There's going to be rehearsals in the summer and then, you know, that season will go through the fall. One of the things I'm working on right now is is finalizing all the coordination for percussion for the Missouri symphony's hot summer nights festival. So this is a five week festival and the first concert is going to be on June 15th, which is a um, collaboration between the symphony and the Missouri contemporary ballet. Super excited about that. Um, And then we have our next concert will be the Juneteenth concert. Um, Always love that. That concert is going to be directed by Mizzou's own Dr. Brandon Boyd a fabulous um, composer, arranger, and he has all these great vocalists that are coming in, and I'm super stoked about it. Our Masterworks concerts this summer are awesome. They're going to be, there's three, four of them, three of them. You know, there's going to be like Dvorak Nine and Scheherazade. I get to play Scheherazade, finally, (laughs) this summer. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so happy. (laughs) Um, And there's a great piece by Jennifer Higdon that's coming up. We have um, at the at Stevens Lake Park, we're doing a collaboration concert with Marie Osmond. So that's pretty exciting. So All that'll right. be a pretty cool concert. Yeah. Um, plus it's at this great amphitheater right off of the Lake of the Ozarks. So it's a gorgeous place. Um, and then the, the last concert is going to be a back to Broadway concert, which will just have broad Broadway hits and Disney in it as well. So I'm really stoked about that. Um, so it's a big festival. It's a big festival. It's 10 concerts, two a week. Um, I'm playing in seven of the concerts. Um, because one week, a little bit in the middle, um, I'm going to be touring with Heartland Marimba. So the Heartland Marimba Ensemble has a tour that is starts out in Waterloo, Iowa. Then we're going up to Michigan. And then down to Chicago. And that's, that's the tour. I think it's about eight days. And we have eight, eight world premiere pieces mm. on this tour, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I'm really stoked about that. I got to learn those notes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm playing some vibraphone. I think I'm playing chimes. Um, yeah, it's a group of um, probably eight of us, nine of us touring. So it's a pretty substantial uh, programming um, in terms of instruments and everything. It's, you know, touring with five-octave marimbas, vibraphones, and chimes, and that's pretty extensive. <laughs> yeah. And you got to set it up and tear it down every single time, you know? But I'm really excited to do this. Um, it's been a long time coming, so I love that I get to play in a tour and a festival all within a similar amount of time, so that's great. Um, and then, let's see, so... Start, I start the Missouri Symphony Festival, then I go away on tour for a minute, come back. That festival ends on July 16th, and then um, just like three days later, I start moving it, um, moving in with uh, the Missouri International Composers Festival. So I'm doing the percussion coordination for that as well. alarm Sound will be coming in for that. They start rehearsing around the 18th, so my responsibilities are really going to start around the 18th. So just a few days after the other festival starts, that'll be about two weeks, one week of real uh, activities. The first week is usually just rehearsals and, and workshops, and then all the performances I think are happening in the second week. So this all happens before the end, um, in the last week of July. The festival for the first time is going to have a, more of a student-led recital, actually. Normally it's just been the Mizzou New Music Ensemble and Alarmal Sound, and maybe one of Two other things, but we're going to have a student-led recital, and it's going to feature some student compositions. Um, I am going to be playing um, two pieces on that concert, on that recital. Um, One of them is The Spiral on Your Back by Jose Martinez, who is a Mizzou alum. Um, And that was, you know, the parameters of this uh, recital is that it needs to be related to Mizzou somehow. So me, a a previous Mizzou student, and playing the piece of a of, of an alum is great. Um, this piece is awesome. It's, um, a small setup. It was actually part of this, I think it was called the suitcase commission or something with Keith Aleo. And the idea is that you could take this piece on tour just in a suitcase. Um, so it has like a tin can, a wine bottle, um, a clay tile, a small cast iron skillet, stuff like that all on a table. Um, so part of the music is notated. Part of it is improvised. Um, There's six different patches, so I set up a microphone that, imp- that takes in all the, the sound that I'm playing. I set up a microphone that takes all the input of whatever acoustic in- instruments I'm playing. And then the max patch ran off of my computer, then outputs that signal with various shifts in timbre or oct- octavation or just bits of sound. Um, and that is outputted to the house, and that so in a, in a loop mm-hmm. of some kind. This piece is so interesting because the algorithms in the Max Patch are a little random, so no, no performance of the piece can ever sound the same at all. Sometimes I'll try to do the exact same thing just out of curiosity, and it never sounds the same which I love, and that to me that is really um, invigorating as a performer, because it's providing a unique experience all the time. Um, and Jose instructs that you should perform however you're feeling at that moment. So I've had days where I felt really anxious, and while there were lots of really fast, short rhythms and things like that, um, then there are other days that are very melancholic, and so, so it was just lots of slow sounds or long sounds in those patches, or in those loops, So, you know, I'm really excited about that. Then I'm, there's another piece on that recital called Gone by Angelica Negron, who is actually one of the guest composers for the festival. So we played this piece in our percussion ensemble virtual residency this last semester with So Percussion. This is a piece they commissioned and um, we played that on the percussion ensemble concert and we're going to revamp it with some changes in personnel for the festival and it's going to be great to be able to work on this piece with Angelica in person. So that's exciting. And this piece is cool because it does feature electronics and these little robots that um, have little actuators that hit the bottoms of plastic bowls. Um, that And the bowls later get filled with water and the robots have little lights on them. It's, it's a great piece. I really enjoy it. So I'm really excited to play that. Um, so that's... And then the New Music Ensemble will be working on some pieces of Nigelica's... Or Angelica's... Not Nigelica. Yeah. The New Music Ensemble will be working on one of her pieces as well. And a few other pieces. But I'm really excited about that. And then going back to Hickman, their marching band, uh, band camp, the Full thing, kind of starts a little bit in MICF. So I'm, I'm going to be splitting my time a little bit there. And... So that'll take us, that takes me through the summer because the band camp will go into August. And then um, depending on jobs I'm applying for in the area, we'll see what my fall looks like. So my summer can, will either become more crazy or just a little bit crazy. (laughs) It'll either stay as what I just said, or it'll get even crazier. So, so, but I'm, I'm crossing my fingers for the extra crazy but we'll see what happens, so. All right, Jordan, I finish up with a segment called Random
0: Ass Questions.
1: Okay. All
0: right, first question is, what's an issue in percussion education, percussion performance, something like that, that most gets under your skin or drives you the most
1: nuts? Only because this comes up every single time I have to teach kids.
0: <laughs> only, only bat.
1: <that. laughs> only bat. It's yeah? really bad... Crash cymbal technique. We're we're not trying to shove our arm all the way forward. Mm-hmm. You know when we're crashing. Yeah. Puts so, No. No. I I come from the background of learning to crash cymbals down with weight and gravity. Not mm-hmm. lots of band teachers. You see them clapping in a very strong forward motion at yeah, the yeah. front of the ensemble because they're mm-hmm. like play louder and it's like air pocket, air pocket, air pocket, air right. pocket. That. Yep. Every time. Every time. Also, the triangle does not always have to be clipped to the music stand. You can right. pick it up. Mm-hmm. So, that, and in young kids' education, those are like the two things that I see all the time. So, yeah, that gets under my skin. <laughs> <That's>
0: good. <laughs> I like the specificity. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I, that was I, I was taught. I was taught. Uh, it was like it was basically the same thing as a as a rebound stroke, but just yeah, down yeah, exactly with a, with an angle. Boom. That's it.
1: Yeah. And lately I've been experimenting a lot with like um, using like some push in my thumb to help get the momentum down and then release, then lifting my thumb to help bring the sound to help think up again. And so that's, that's been changing things a little bit for me. It works, but of course everyone has a different preference and whatever works for you works. Great. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Take this one wherever you want to go, and I think this is going to relate to some of what we, uh, what we already talked about, particularly with your background. I'm going to phrase this a little weird, but I think you'll know where I'm, where I'm going with this. But being a percussionist who is also LGBTQIA plus, and open the floor, take that where you want to go.
1: Okay, give me a second. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I've even really been asked that before, so it's kind of interesting to because obviously it's a it's a present thing all the time for me sure. but this is just something i was recently thinking about sure. so it's not quite some grandiose principle but sure. well i guess it is i guess it is um but i think for me i've never come from the approach of some being someone that is so i like to call myself a quiet gay as in i'm not going to be running around with a rainbow flag tattooed across my forehead. That's just not how I've ever been. Not that I don't like having fun in that way. Um, And of course, I'm very, um, I'm proud. But um, for me, I think that and this, I I think this also relates to how I was raised um, and the environment that I was raised in. You know, being able to be a positive influence through what um through leadership or just my actions or or how I treat people is really important and I think that is my like quiet battle to helping to open up people's minds about people they may not be familiar with I think for me I really want to make sure that other people see people that are LGBT are just human beings, but I think sometimes for some people, the bright colors and the fun personality and all that stuff, which I love, I love, I really do. And, but I think for some people that are already nervous about that, they see that as a wall. And so for me, I think being able to have a quiet conversation about those things or just seeing like, oh, so-and-so has the same priorities that I do, and they just also happen to be LGBT. Now, that sometimes that sounds, for some people, I think, they, for some people in the community, maybe they might think that that sounds a little outdated. Potentially, just because it's not the big shiny thing. But to me, it's I think it's important. And so to give you an example about that, relating back to percussion, it always comes up in my teaching. Not always, but something like, for a long time I had a water bottle that had a pride flag on it. Mm-hmm. Which is about as, I don't, I as a, just a human being, I don't like bright colors. I like muted colors. I've always been that way. Okay. So, like, if you ever see me in a bright colored shirt, I may not be enjoying it at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, even, even wearing Mizzou yellow is a little bit bright for me. <laughs> it can't be a burgundy. Like, come on. <laughs> Um, or like my favorite color is forest green. And so I'm wearing a lot of darker green lately. Yeah. Um, anywho, (laughs) but, um, you know, that's a not, but having that, or even just like an ally tag on my backpack or something like that, or, um, uh, you know, has brought up conversations or there have been, there have been kids in programs Let's say, yeah, I'm in a religious household and, you know, uh, my parents are not accepting and I'm bisexual and I don't know how to tell them stuff like that. You know, it comes up and I, you know, I've actually tried to gather resources so that I can like say like, okay, here, can I email you these links or can you or can you just like take a photo of these links and then you can go find them later of just extra resources and stuff like that, you know? Um, because I'm, I'm right now I'm in a part of my life where I'm starting, you know, I'm way more on the mentor side of things. And so, you know, that changes the responsibility, but obviously I, um, you know, I can really empathize with the, um, the path they're going down. So, you know, um, or another example, I think last year, um, and this always comes up with high school kids. Um, Which is a really, I mean, for me, that was a really big pivotal time, you know, knowing that there was one, I, um, having a mentor that is, um, out and a positive example is really important. And it was really important for me. So I'm trying to figure out how to, how I can help that. Um, but last summer during band camp. I wore um, a Spectrum Ensemble T-shirt that mm-hmm. says "Music is Gay." Yeah, I love that shirt. It's a great shirt, and it's great because it's not a bright color. It's just a black and white shirt. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I wore that, which maybe I shouldn't have. It was like 100 degrees that day, and I was wearing a black T-shirt. But, but mm-hmm. I think I had like six or seven students come up to me and either say like, "That's really cool. Um, I love that shirt." Can't you know? It's a. I would like to get one because I want to. Um, uh, I want to show that I'm an ally, you know, and it's cool that it relates to music. And then they're all like, oh, what's Spectrum Ensemble? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can tell them about this badass group mm-hmm. over here doing all this cool stuff. And but then there, were, yeah, it seriously was like six to seven kids that day that came up to me at just random points on breaks or like they were getting water and they they're even nervous enough that sometimes they won't look in you look you in the eye. They'll Like I was filling up my water bottle and the student came up and they wouldn't even look, but they were telling me these things and you could tell they were nervous. And it's like, Oh my God, it's a, it's okay. You know, it's like, you know, you've got friends in a support network here and you have teachers that, you know, they understand, they get it. And, and I've, I've also been able to, uh, you know, I've had other teachers in the area that I've um, started to develop some friendships with where we've had these conversations. They're like, what can we do? Like uh, we're, I'm not a part of this, group and, you know, maybe, um, or this community. Um, so they're, you know, they're asking about how they can be allies and stuff like that. And luckily, you know, they we I think that this school district in this area is really lucky to have the empathetic and awesome understanding music teachers that are in the school district. They all work really hard. And, um, I think there's a lot of really great people that really just care about the students. And they know that that's the priority is just taking care of students. So, you know, it, so for me, that's kind of where that is. And that's like my little quiet mission is just to like help where I can because I, I, yeah, I think that's an area that is comfortable for me. And I think um, I can give more in those scenarios than I can in other scenarios. So, yeah. I think that's what it—that's what it means to me. So great. That's a great question. Holy crap! <laughs> now I'm going to be thinking about my life for the rest of the day. Thanks. No. <laughs> 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 Just kidding.
0: <laughs> oh no, that's that's good. So, all right, we're going to get to some other questions, not nearly as, uh, as stressful. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, has anyone ever nailed an impression of you?
1: And if so, how'd they do it? Emily told me you might ask me that. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure when they were trying to be funny, probably. I think my students have tried to. Mm -hmm. Like, have you, or in front of you, or they've tried to do an impression of you, and you're like,
0: are you, is that supposed to be me? Like,
1: (laughs) They'll try to mimic things I say. One of my previous teachers, she picked up some of my mannerisms. She's like, I got that from you. And I said, No, you didn't. I don't do that. She was like, Jordan. Really? <laughs> it was just the mm-hmm mm-hmm. I do that all the time. Haven't and you've probably heard me do that. Yeah. Um, or I say, Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> my student one of my students came up to me and was like, Cool, cool, cool. And he was like raising his eyebrows and like I was like, Okay, I get it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) yes, I think some people have in small ways. (laughs) Yeah. Those are good. Those are good. Those are good. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? Probably a Halloween costume. Mm hmm. That you just, it's still, you still got it. Or, you know what? Because I just graduated, my master's regalia. Yeah. There it is. (laughs) It's on a hanger because I wanted to look at it for five minutes (laughs) afterwards to be like, yeah, I did that. And now. What do I do with it? Yeah. Like it's not like it it's not like a, an old t-shirt that I use to like wipe down my car after I wash it or something. Yeah. I can't just take my master's gown and wipe, you know, wipe down my back window with that or something. So, yeah, master's regalia. That's it.
0: <laughs> what is a great movie and what is a terrible movie?
1: So, if you've ever watched the show Shameless, there's an actor in it that play, plays the character Ian his name is Cameron Monahan. I love him to death. He played this role in a movie called Shattered, where he breaks his leg, and this um, person starts taking care, taking care of him that he met at a grocery store. Um, and I was really excited, because I thought it was going to be a good movie. And I actually... So you couldn't stream it, so I actually rented it. So I spent money on this thing. And the entire time, I was like, what the hell is happening? This is so stupid. So shattered, featuring Cameron Monaghan. Don't blame him for the bad writing. Go watch Shameless; it's a much better. And he also plays the Joker in Gotham as well. Mm. Um, so much better. He's a great actor. Yeah. But the writing is so bad. It's just cringy. It's terrible. So that's the bad movie. A good movie. Okay, a really amazing movie. Ex Machina. Oh yeah. Probably not one of my it's I don't know if it's my favorite movie, but I love that movie. It is the the lighting, the cinematography gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. The plot is it really involved to me. Um I love the pacing. Um it's just fantastic. Oh, and the soundtrack is just gorgeous. It pulls you right in. Such a great movie. Aesthetics everything.
0: Oscar Isaac yeah, yeah. When he's dancing with such the robot.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So good. such a good movie. And I hate that that movie, that movie probably came out like eight years ago. Yeah, it's, it's
0: not that That's recent, cool. but it's still good. That's all it's right. It's still so
1: good. I, yeah. I should go watch it again. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good one. All right, what is a favorite book? So I worked for a lecture series in my undergrad for a long time, and we got all these awesome guests in all the time. Oh, um, the Apex like every series? week. Apex series. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the one that Lynn ran, I, I was one of her workers for a long time and, or she still runs it and it's awesome. There's about Mm -hmm. 20, 22 events a year and these guests are like high profile guests, you know, Mm -hmm. one of them we got, her name is Zainab Salbi. She, so she grew up in a household where her dad was the personal pilot for Saddam Hussein. Okay. So that's intimidating. Yeah. Um, she actually grew up in a household where she called him uncle, because that's just what you did. Um, and so she has a she is an amazing, amazing woman making this world a better place. She has a few books. She started this organization called Women for Women, which was women around the world sending items and words of support and letters to other women throughout the world just to support. And you know, which is amazing. Her first book is called Between Two Worlds where she talks about her life growing up and then how she got out of that and how she got to the US and stuff. And it is I read that book so fast and um and I read it before before she actually was on campus. So I really wanted to like understand this process and then i got to meet her and but by the time i got to, to the end of that book i think i cried for the last like 100 pages it's just powerful it's not a long book it's not a long book but it is just it's so beautiful because it's this just it's a wonderful sentiment of just survival in the modern world and dealing with all the bs of the systems that we have to grow up in and that we have to work around in order to come out as an independent person and her doing that under the umbrella of the world that she grew up in and still that world being so important to her as well. And then moving into, um, going to the U S and going to school and accomplishing that while family stuff is happening and things like that. Not that obviously my situation is my life has not even remotely been the same, but it's just understanding that it's just so nice to understand that other people go through (laughs) similar struggles or similar types of struggles. And she was talking about like trying to come into the U S and like just get through school. And she, (laughs) um, she said by the time she finished her degree, she was just in tears because she was like, I actually did it. I actually made it here. And she, and she's just gone on and done even more amazing things throughout her life. So between two worlds by Zainab Salvi, fabulous book.
0: I remember when I when I talked to Lynn. This was years ago. Um, mm-hmm. She had just had uh, Gustavo Ariano,
1: uh-huh.
0: and and uh, and I was like, because his he has a book. I mean, he's a he's a well known writer, but his book on oh my gosh, I can't now I have to remember what it was. Like literally the funniest book I've ever read mm-hmm. in my entire life, and I and it's it was. And I told, like, I, I remember trying to read it and and like giggling so hard that I had people like, "What are you doing? Are you okay?" And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, it's the book, it's killing me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: So. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other guests we got to have was uh, Mike Reese. Is that his name? He's one of the original writers for The Simpsons. Mm. So he's. He was one of the longest uh, writers for The Simpsons and actually was a head writer for, like, the fourth season or something, which apparently is is the one that's gotten the most attention throughout time. Mm. But that was – oh, my God, that was so funny. I was dying that entire event. It was fantastic. So much fun. Um, Stuff like that. But he has a book about writing for The Simpsons, and it is so funny. And I was never into The Simpsons. And then I saw him give a lecture, kind of, Mm. if you can call a – a comedian or a comedy writer giving a lecture. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a hilarious book. You should read his book if you just want to laugh. It's fantastic. Awesome.
0: Arulano or Ariano book was called Ask a Mexican.
1: Oh yeah 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 yeah. God. Yeah. So hilarious. He he was fantastic. I yeah. loved that event. Oh my! I I'd forgotten about that event. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's just so cool because like I met like. 60, 70 high-profile guests, and they were all fantastic. Yeah. You know? It was so cool. It's like, they were so amazing, but it was also like week to week to week to week. Yeah. It's like every Thursday. It's like, okay, now we've got the the director of uh, user experience at Google coming in. The next week is a, is a Utah State politician. Right. You know? And then... So Next week's on, the so guy far. who
0: wrote uh, the the book on um, Elizabeth Holmes, you
1: know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I was so I was so into the Theranos thing, yeah. And then he showed up, and I was like, <laughs> when I knew that he was coming, I lost my mind for a solid hour. <laughs> oh, and have you watched the Hulu series about the Theranos scandal? No, it's, it's called good. The Dropout. Yeah, it's yeah, based all on um, his stuff. I watched that series so fast. <laughs> it's so good. Awesome. It's so good. You you got to watch it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. No,
0: no, it's great. It's great. Do you have a sports fandom?
1: Not really. Okay. Here's why sports are fun. I love going <laughs> and chatting and screaming at things with my friends. Uh-huh. And I love going outside and having a beer. Mm-hmm. And watching people do cool stuff that I don't quite understand, but – People are screaming around me, so it's fun. So, you know, just like going and like getting a beer and nachos and a hot dog or something, mm-hmm. and with my friends, yeah, is great. So that's I like going to events. I can I can't focus on it otherwise. If it if it's on a screen, I don't know what's going on. I don't care. I'll just keep talking. Yeah, and then the people that want to be into the game dislike me at that point. So I just avoid that. <laughs> so. They're like, I want to watch the game, Like, but but this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to get into something sometime, yeah. but I don't know. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Yeah.
0: But the girl who was in Les Mis, the movie, is playing Elizabeth Holmes. Don't you understand?
1: <laughs> that is probably a conversation that happened within the last two weeks. <laughs> and I may have said that sentence. <laughs> nice so her she she owns that role she yeah. owns that role. <laughs> yeah.
0: I've always imagined um, Kate McKinnon, I thought because her mm. vo- her natural voice is is yeah, right that's now, true. really close to that range. Mm-hmm. but
1: I don't know I think I think she does it really well though. it's yeah. like she was pretty captivating the whole time. Yeah. actually really the entire cast was they did a really good job with it. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's great. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right.
0: What is your biggest kitchen mess up?
1: Only because it was really awkward. <laughs> I was trying a different chicken marinade recipe a mm-hmm. couple of years ago. And I had been looking at a couple of different recipes. And so I was kind of combining a few of things. But one of them, I didn't realize. I was like... I was thinking, okay, the portions seem a little heavy for the cilantro and the lime right now mm-hmm. and it was also like chicken thighs, so I didn't so there was a little bit more to absorb the flavor so I was like this is fine you know it's not like I'm doing chicken breasts where it's going to overpower it right Well, the comment I got was, so the chicken was moist. I will say that <laughs> I'm proud of that, but it's chicken thighs so it's easier to do that. The chicken was moist, so that was nice. But the comment they said was the chicken tasted fresh, and uh-huh. I don't want someone to tell me that chicken tastes fresh. I really want them to say a salad tastes fresh, or you know, like yeah. a chicken should not taste it, have like strong aromatic elements of a vegetable, right? So or an herb, which is kind of what it had. So Got I it. just said, well, just pour more gravy on top of it, and it'll be fine. <laughs> it didn't work. So <laughs> it didn't work. It did not taste very good like the thing is like it didn't taste bad but it was not what you expect chicken to taste like not even close Mm -hmm. so that was because I had actually just made that for people I was like yeah come over it's fine let's let's just hang out and have a good time Mm -hmm. um so yeah everything else turned out great but that was just that was the moment where I was like I really made a mistake and people are politely eating it Yeah, yeah right now that was the first time it really happened to me and yeah, so that that was a pretty substantial mess up and embarrassment status for me. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So
0: you just want the cooking the chicken to taste cooked. That's the, that, that 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 would be my main thing. Is it fully cooked? Okay,
1: it's fully cooked and like no, it needs to have an earthy flavor. And yeah. I just really
0: just I read the
1: portions it. wrong. I read <laughs> the portions wrong, and I tr- trusted it, and I didn't listen to my gut, and yeah. that was the problem. So. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> cool.
0: Do you have a go-to karaoke song?
1: You know what? It's probably something from The Lion King or mm. Tarzan because when Tarzan, I was kid, interesting. Oh yeah, I know they get every word to that soundtrack, and oh, I'm, okay. I'm not even kidding. Mm. It can be years in between yeah. listening to it, but I still know every single word. Of course. So I would have to go with something like that mm-hmm. because I just know those songs really well because I like my mom ran a daycare when I was a kid. And so Disney movies were constantly on repeat. Sure. And so I think they've just seeped so deep into my brain Yeah. that, yeah, there's a lot of Disney movies from that era, you know, early 2000s, late nineties and stuff mm-hmm. that it really, I, I know every word. <laughs> so, so, we, so it has we, to be something from there.
0: Gotcha. So if we, if we asked for a little, be prepared, you would be, you could, Oh, uh,
1: I was, it's funny. It's funny you asked this because I was singing it yesterday off the top of my head. <laughs> It just popped into my head it's a Great tune. I, while I was driving. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So nice. there you go. <laughs> All
0: right. What's on a somewhat related note, what's something that's maybe on the more obscure side, but um, if you meet someone and they say, I like, like whatever that is, and you're immediately just go,
1: we're good. What would that be for you? A little tricky because my first instinct is game of thrones but obviously that's not obscure i'm actually looking through a text message because it makes sense i promise <laughs> it's not really obscure sure but it kind of is now because it's not in immediate pop culture but when people tell me that they had a vampire diaries obsession uh-huh. we are on good terms <laughs> I love that show. The plot is so formulaic. I love it. There's so much unnecessary drama. It's great. The entire cast is beautiful. And like, yeah. It's it's so silly. But yes. <laughs> Actually, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how I knew I was going to like Lynn. Because oh. at one point I said, oh yeah, I'm going home and I'm going to watch Vampire Diaries or something. After band camp. Yeah. I said, I'm gonna go practice and watch vampire diaries. And she said, vampire diaries. <laughs> that was like one of her shows. And so mm-hmm. her and I had a lot of T V shows that we talked about. That was kind of our one of the things that we got a you know some similar taste, some not, but yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So there you go.
0: <laughs> I, I would I was gonna I was wondering if you had said uh, oh and I also am gonna go home and watch Xanadu. do.
1: No, that didn't quite click for me, unfortunately. (laughs) So just not in the same way. Um, I don't know what that says, but the Xanadu. Yeah, I forgot about that. Well, but that's also that's because like that, I think,
0: was like prime childhood years Mm -hmm. for her to that to seep in. But no,
1: she's only 25. Right. Of course. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I don't think she would care if that was aired, but. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, that's that's good. Okay, where <laughs> is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to
1: get to? Oh, Anywhere outside of the U.S. I was going to go out of the country and then COVID, so. Yeah. Um, but one place I really want to go to for sure in the future is I want to see Vatican City really bad. Mm. I think that just because of the depth of Western culture there, I think that's really fascinating to me. I also think I really want to go to Iceland. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. And Australia. I really want to go to Sydney. So. Good choices.
0: I, w- I, w- I, w- I can tell you from, fortunately, I've gotten to see the Vatican, you know, and, and that it's, oh, you the have? amount of artwork, the amount yeah. of artwork is, it's preposterous. I mean, I would just put it that way. Like it's it's like yeah. all of these and and it's and it surrounds you and you're just like mm-hmm. and this is like one part of a room and there are like mm-hmm. twenty rooms that are like this. I'm just whole, I mean, it's just that it's like that kind of level where you're just like I don't even know. I don't even know what to focus on right now. So
1: that makes oh sense. even just thinking about it, I just got chills. Like. <laughs> Seriously, no, I know exactly what you mean because I like just like big big architecture that is really detailed and all these yep. things. That that is so beautiful to me. Even like okay, it's it's obviously not the same, but um my family was here last week and we went down to the Lake of the Ozarks, but we stopped at the Missouri State Capitol, mm. which is yep. just a, it's a beautiful building. Yeah. We didn't get to do the tour cuz we couldn't make a reservation mm. um in time. Um but just just the details on the exterior of the building. And this isn't even remotely the same, but I was still like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Um, this is a beautiful building and you know, all that type of stuff. And they're definitely referencing all of that artwork. Right. Yeah. But then to see like the real, you know, stuff and buildings that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. Yes, please. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I also, there are certain areas of China that I really want to go see as well for the same reasons. Yeah. Um, I also have a family member, um, who is, who speaks, uh, Mandarin. Mm. And so we keep saying like, we're going to go to, we're going to go to Taiwan. We're going to go to Taiwan. Um, it'd be so much fun. I would love it. It's, it's just like that, that sense of culture is just so ingrained into those areas, Yeah, you know? And it's not like, it, that's something that the U S just doesn't have. Right, the modern U.S. is young. It's yes. really young. People yeah. are like, "Oh, it's an old building. It was built in 1920." Like, that's not an old building, really. Yeah. For so many other places, it's like, "Oh, their old building is like, oh, this house is 900 years old." Yeah, that I'm living in, right? Church so, pri- primarily, but yes, yes, yeah. no, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's the same idea, right? Like, so,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, have, have you gotten into the state capital yet? Have you seen the interior? Or,
1: or? No, I haven't. It's on yeah. my I'm hoping I can take a trip, like just a, you know, a quick day trip this yeah. It's so close to here that
0: It's it's worth it. The the tour is wor- and to see all of the um the murals that are that surround sure. it, really it's it's actually quite good.
1: Well, and I love that the building is dedicated as a public art gallery as well. Yeah. That's an awesome thing. Yeah. And I want to like I want to see that. I want to support it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, I, yeah, I need to go, I yeah. need to go, but I think that's a trip that I would love to do on my own so that I could just sit there and process it Yeah. without having to really just find something to talk about, you know, Yeah. I think that would be really good for me, but yeah, yeah. hopefully soon.
0: Uh, a couple more strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you.
1: In one of my performances, there was a, a tuba player that slid off a riser. It's more of a tragedy, really. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of awkward, but no, it was seriously during the concert, his chair slid off the riser. And that was terrifying because it was like just to the side of the timpani, just barely. Um, and I, w- I was playing bass drum at that moment. It was just like, <gasps> the concert didn't stop. And believe it or not, it wasn't the loudest thing that it happened, actually. And luckily it was not during like a ballad or something,
0: you know? Sure, yeah.
1: I saw someone break a bass drum beater. I don't know how you do that. The head oh. popped off. So I think the glue oh, had dried okay. too much or something. Yeah, or yeah. too old. But yeah, the head popped off. So that that kind of sucked. <laughs> I've also had to, you know, crawl on a stage to turn off some snares before. In the middle of a quiet piece that was, you know, full of long tones. I think it was an Eric Whitaker arrangement.
0: Well, there, there you, you go. You can imagine
1: a snare drum would sound horrendous at that moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was crawling, literally crawling, and just to see avoid this being and just like <laughs> yep. from the I was crawling behind the piano, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, really, it was a hand just from the ground. Yeah, and then I just hid behind the piano for the the remainder of the piece. Yep. Because luckily, I was like, well, if I stand up, I'll be behind the lid, and then I can just kind of appear. It'll yeah. be okay. There, there was just no other solution, mm-hmm. and I don't oh. know. It was just weird because it, it was supposed to be a really emotional moment, and I really did not want like my six one blonde well, head I was to shine say, in your the height stage was going to be
0: a problem for
1: that. For that, it <laughs> always happens too. People are like, "Jordan, you're, you're, you just stand out." It's like, okay, I get fine. <laughs> I actually colored my hair once because of that. <laughs> Dead serious.
0: Nice. <laughs> All right. Last question. What one piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently?
1: Okay. So I have a, a two-layer answer to this. Sure. The musical Fun Home. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's a, so I saw it um, two – Three weeks ago recently, there was a production in the area from, uh, there's a production house called Talking Course Productions Mm -hmm. in Columbia. Um, I got to see that live, um, kind of for the first time, because the first time I did Fun Home, it was actually, I was in the pit. And at at that moment, it was really pivotal for me as well. So that was uh, four years ago, because it just came off of Broadway like four years ago. And actually, my undergrad was the first university or college to do Fun Home. Oh, sweet. So that's, that was pretty exciting once it was allowed to be off Broadway. Right. Um, and so that was really, and it was just like timely for me and the plot is incredible. Um, but so, I, but I was constantly worried about playing at that point, even though it was still, a, you know, a black box setting yeah. and I was sitting like the pit was on the stage at the very back, yeah. which was fun. I mean, everyone could see us the whole time. Um, so that was cool. And, yeah, that impacted me a lot. But this time I just got to sit and absorb it. And I was with some friends, and we just had some really heavy conversations related to um, parents and um, growing up with religion and, um, uh, you know, just other, other, like, issues that can happen when growing up queer. And so um, we'd had a lot of conversations about that. And then just seeing that also was just... Yeah, very impactful. There were a lot of tears in that room that night, from m- many people, and it was and it was a packed house too, and it was just really powerful. And I knew some people in the audience actually that had net they didn't know what the plot was at all, and actually some of my high school students were in the pit, so that was really fun to be able to support them and, um, and stuff like that. So yeah, fun home. If if you haven't listened to the music, you should definitely should. It's on Spotify, like the original cast production, and it's wonderful. Um, but if you have the chance to see it live, I highly recommend it.
0: Wait, what was the two layer part? Oh that
1: you've, you've that played I've it played in. it in the years past, yeah, and then I got to actually see it again yeah. and just revisit that. Yeah, so it impacted me recently, but it's kind of a it's a deeper connection than that, so yeah. <laughs>
0: such a pleasure getting to chat with Jordan for these couple of episodes. I look forward to hearing from him and seeing where his career progresses locally and in the world. And I look forward to the chances of running into him in town on a somewhat regular basis. This week's rave is a long-ago classic. It is the Charles Dickens novel, David Copperfield, or as its longer name is, The personal history, adventures, experience, and observation of David Copperfield the Younger of Blunderstone Rookery, which he never meant to publish on any account. This book came out in 1850 and was first published as a serial in a number of installments. This is the fourth work of Charles Dickens's I've read, and maybe my favorite of those so far. Those other works were The Pickwick Papers, A Christmas Carol and a Tale of Two Cities. It is a long book. It did take around seven weeks of intermittent reading for me to get through it, but I did quite enjoy it. David Copperfield is written from the first person perspective of the title character. It feels weird to say something like, spoiler alert, about a book written 170 plus years ago. But David navigates a pretty tough beginning, losing his parents early, having difficult antagonistic relationships with a Mr. Murdstone who oversees his education, and later Uriah Heep, a contemporary, but is able to maintain his life as it moves forward, fortunately, with success. As this is the 19th century, there's a lot of sudden death, struggle, and happiness that ends quickly. According to some brief research, this book was written right at the midpoint of Charles Dickens' writing career, and many saw this as a turning point towards bleaker and more difficult works that would occur later in his life. Part of the reason I liked this book was because of its relative ease of reading, which is a weird thing to say as the book is over 700 pages and is in very small type, at least the version I found possibly due to the first-person perspective, and also because it is being written at various stages of the life of the protagonist, it moved with some quickness. It's always enjoyable to read something from a long time ago that can still hold up. Another reason for liking reading older literature is that you can stumble upon characters that you've heard about, but you didn't totally know what was going on. I mean, obviously you're getting David Copperfield's perspective here, so as one does in your real life, folks enter and re-enter the story at random intervals, but you also get to hear about Uriah Heep, for example, a name I had some knowledge of, but I know much better now. There are also random characters that you stumble upon that you find yourselves cheering for, cheering against, or in some cases, you just want them to actually leave the story. Does that sound like life? Maybe a little bit. The other thing, particularly from a work from long ago, is that it sets up getting to see many different adaptations of the book in the form of film or TV. And there are a lot of these, mostly taking place in TV or made-for-TV adaptations of films, sometimes as standalone works or two-part or up to ten-part works. I'll be digging into some of these in the future. So if you're up for a well-known famous illusionist, go to Las Vegas and check out David Copperfield. Hold on, let me restate. If you're up for the challenge of a long read, check out David Copperfield, the book, the book. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at petezambitocom slash Pete's Percussion Podcast the Episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at PeteZambito or by email at pod at gmail.com and I'll catch you next time. Until then.